Hello and welcome to our Secular Overeaters podcast series, where you'll hear from speakers who have found recovery from food and other addictions without God. For additional information, go to secularovereaters.org. And now let's get to today's podcast. Welcome to our presentation on outside resources. At this 60-minute program, secular members will share on non-OA-approved literature and other resources that have aided their recovery. This portion of the program should take around 40 minutes. Then we'll have open sharing. As we mentioned earlier, this event is sponsored by Secular Overeaters and is not an official OA event. Therefore, attendees are free to mention non-OA resources. Many OAs and seculars use outside literature resources to augment their recovery from their food obsession, and we are here to share those solutions. If you'd like to know more about OA-approved literature and its use in meetings, we refer you to Tradition 6 in the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Eaters Anonymous, 2nd Edition, page 126. We have four panelists today, Adele, Brian, Kay, and Susan. We've requested that they limit their shares to 10 minutes and you will notice that Jenny will be keeping time with a five-minute gentle reminder. We provided our panelists with these prompt questions. How long they've used the outside resource or practice, why they like it or how it helps their recovery, something specific like a favorite quote, something learned, or an example of how they implemented it. Our panelists will speak in alphabetical order, and we will post our panelists' resources in the chat. Adele, please unmute, and the floor is yours. Hey, hello. Um, thank you for asking me to uh, to speak on this. I'm uh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Um, my name is Adele, and uh, I am a compulsive overeater from New Jersey. I have been in and out of the uh, OA and another 12-step fellowship for food for about 29 years, uh, mostly doing traditional uh, OA. Uh, so you could say that most of my adult life has been spent in a 12-step program, uh, you know, dealing with the struggle of food. Um, okay, so how did I find these meetings? Uh, I love podcasts. And uh, I was recently listening to one, I guess, November of 2022. And someone mentioned secular overeaters. And I right away, what's that? So I quickly go out to Google and I stumble upon the website, the overeater, secular overeaters website. And I was just, you know, totally opened up to information that I've never seen before. And I just, I'm very curious. I'm a, I'm sort of a researcher by uh, profession. So I, I dig. And that was how I found this. Um, you know, also finding these meetings had helped me come back to OA after about, uh, about a year and a half hiatus, we'll, we'll call it. Um, because I really was looking for support with my compulsive eating. and. Um, 
there was just something about traditional that just was not working for me. So um, I'm just really happy I found these rooms. So the resource that has really helped me is um, Staying Sober Without God. It's by Jeffrey Munn. And I found out about it through listening to one of the 12-step studies uh, through the Secular Overeaters uh, website. And I, there was just something in the language of the steps as they're presented that just resonated with me. Um, so through an outreach call, I had, you know, spoke with someone else in, in these secular rooms and the two of us decided we would read this book together. Uh, what's also really nice is there is a, um, there's a workbook that goes with it. And it just made um, questions just really helped prompt some deeper writings is, is what I found. So what, what I did, there was actually three of us back in December of last year, we started meeting weekly on Zoom. We set up a Zoom meeting and we would just read a chapter. And the way the book is um, set up is he doesn't go right into the steps. He there's some introductory things about addiction and, you know, I guess his purpose, his story to kind of build up before he starts going into the explanations. So I do need to say I've only completed the first three steps. I am currently working the fourth step through this, uh, through this process. Um, and the first thing I, I also liked was that this author does not annihilate the 12 steps. Um, I've read other resources where they just completely, you know, throw this, this is, you know, throw, throw the 12 steps out. I believe that there is a place for them. But what I liked is that this language was very inclusive for those who maybe don't believe in that, that deity um, type of, you know, thing. And I found it more modern for today. Because, you know, I, I do know that the original, you know, AA Big Book was written, you know, it's like, I think it's almost like 100 years by now. Um, I wanted to say that working step two in this book, and I'm just going to quickly, uh, quickly read that for you. I think this is the step that was more of like an aha moment, actually more than step one. Um, but what I enjoyed about it is step two is trusted that a healthy lifestyle was attainable through social support and consistent self-approvement. So it tells me what I internalized here is that I don't have to do this by myself. And what I'm always on is this constant journey of just self-improvement. You know, just how can I be a little bit better than I was yesterday, whether it's with my food, with my relationships, um, with my goals that I set for myself, just how can I get a little bit better? And I think, what, oh yeah, so in that chapter, in this chapter two about being consistent, he also presents the 80-20 um, the rule, which blew me away because I am, I am like a perfectionist, you know, it's all or nothing for me. And 
I just love that I could be consistent, but it doesn't mean it's it's a hundred percent because let's face it, life happens, you know. So the other little nugget I got out of here was when he describes addiction. And he uses his this term for step one. He uses a self-destructive cycle, but he does give you a little explanation about addiction. And what he says is that, you know, addiction kind of exists on a, on a spectrum. And, you know, not to compare myself to another person's addiction. You know, try to just compare myself to yesterday's version of myself. And that has helped me so much in these rooms of not comparing and despairing. Um, and just to wrap up, it's, I find this book has just helped me feel like I have a place in a 12-step room and to feel comfortable with my beliefs and that I can recover. I see a lot of hope in here and I am just really looking forward to continuing the work. So with that, I will pass. Thank you for letting me share. Katie's going to interrupt right here. Adele, would you briefly say what the 80-20 rule is before we move on to Brian? Yes, absolutely. Okay, it states that succeeding at a commitment 80% of the time is perfectly acceptable um, because there's going to be days where I'm going to miss. And I just love that. Let go of any perfectionism you might have and focus on being a little bit better than you were probably yesterday. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Adele. And Brian, you're up next. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Brian. I'm going to be reading off a script. I wanted to be much more freewheeling, but I have too much to say. So, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. My name is Brian. I'm a compulsive overeater in Pittsburgh, PA. I attended my first in-person OA meeting in December of 2021 and my first secular meeting about a year ago in June, 2022. I had a very supportive first sponsor in traditional OA, but he believed in working a more rigid program. I found secular overeaters because I was struggling with steps two and three and stayed with that sponsor through this time. I felt I had covered a lot of ground in individual therapy that I wanted to incorporate into my program, but he felt the two should be distinct processes. The greatest gift he gave me as a sponsor was demonstrating the power of using the 12 steps as a framework to live in. I'm honored to be here sharing an outside resource, celebrating the fact that I'm still a 12-stepper, but one who has broadened my approach to this program. The outside resource I'll be sharing about today is Maintenance Phase, a podcast by Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs. The tagline for the show is wellness and weight loss, debunked and decoded. I learned about it because I was a huge fan of another podcast, You're Wrong About, which Michael Hobbs co-hosted. The format of Maintenance Phase was adapted from that show. One of the hosts does a deep research dive into a topic and presents it to the other. Both You're Wrong About and Maintenance Phase are rewarding to long-term listeners in the way they develop larger themes over time. For example, my favorite catchphrase that emerged from You're Wrong About was, it was capitalism all along. Aubrey Gordon, the other co-host of Maintenance Phase, is a self-identified fat woman. In my share, I will intentionally be using the word fat in place of overweight, obese, big bone, chunky, or any other word, whether it's clinical or euphemistic. There are two reasons I'll be doing this. First, this is the language the show uses. 
Secondly, and more to the point of this share, the reason this show has impacted me so deeply is because it has challenged my relationship with my own fatness, my opinions about other individuals' fatness, and the relationships I thought existed between weight and health and worthiness. I've been listening to Maintenance Phase since the beginning. The first episode came out in October of 2020, and it was about the presidential fitness test. But I didn't allow myself to see this as a viable influence on my program until much more recently when I started working with a secular sponsor. Before I dive into the specifics, I would like to offer a little more personal context. I found OA after I discovered I had binge eating disorder and still consider myself to be a compulsive and emotional eater. I've lost 40 pounds, then gained 50 50 back three times in my life. I also have body image issues. I don't imagine I've seen an accurate version of myself in photos or in the mirror since before I was a teenager. Right now I'm down 25 pounds from my heaviest and working on incorporating exercise into my life in a way that isn't driven by shame. I would like to feel stronger and lighter on my feet and I would like my clothes to fit a a little bit different. That is to say, I would still like to lose some more weight and I don't have an opinion, any opinion or judgment if you'd like to also. Before I let the messages of this show sink in, I really thought to myself, I'll allow myself to feel better about myself once I get below 210 pounds. And when the scale reads 190, I'll finally accept that I'm at a vantage point from which I can trust myself and decide where to go from there. My weight was directly tied to my worthiness. There are countless ways I know I received this message from my family, but media portrayals of fatness also contributed, as did the feeling of being a burden to society due to my obese status. Something else I discovered about my process in recovery is that new ideas and concepts need to churn intellectually for a while before they take hold and develop further into the physical, emotional, and spiritual areas of my program. So when I receive a new piece of program-related information, whether it's from the OA 12 and 12, my agnostic daily reader, my personal therapy sessions, the podcast I'm talking about, or anything else my antenna picks up, I need to internalize these ideas and relate them to my life and experiences so they feel like they're coming from me and are authentic to who I am now before they take root. I now see challenging my preconceived notions of weight, health, and wellness as crucial to my long-term recovery. Before listening to maintenance phase, the following question never occurred to me. Could could I ever be fully recovered if I didn't challenge my internalized anti-fatness? And so finally with that, I'd like to recommend a few episodes to start with. Maintenance phase episodes come in two main flavors. The first is influencer and fad diet debunking, and the second is wellness and institution debunking. I personally love them all and find them all entertaining, so if you're looking for a lot of new content to get sucked into, I'd say just go from the beginning. Who knows, maybe they even spotlight a a diet you tried or a trend you followed or a program you were a member of. I know I felt particularly called out by the master cleanse episode, but it felt more like being called out by my friends than anything adversarial. My more serious recommendations are from the latter category, especially the discussions of our health institutions. These episodes are entitled Anti-Fat Bias, The Body Mass Index, The Obesity Epidemic, Is Being Fat Bad For You, The Trouble With Calories, and doctors have a new plan for fat kids. I can't possibly summarize any of them, but I'll introduce a few of their themes. I remember learning in seventh grade science that correlation doesn't equal causation. 
So while there are many negative health correlations to obesity, as it is defined by the body mass index, do we know, do we know what causes that? Spoiler alert, no, not really. Are there any positive health outcomes associated with being fat? Yes. Do fat people dread going to the doctor because of anti-fat biases throughout medicine? Yes. Would fat people have better health, health outcomes if these biases were addressed? Yes. Can't we all just agree that being fat is a choice and fat people just lack self-control? No. Some of the cultural themes maintenance phase touches on revolve around portrayals of fat people in media. Why do people respond so strongly to the fat positivity movement? If you put your individual beauty standards and preferences aside, how many portrayals of the following can you think of? A fat person who isn't trying to lose weight, isn't comic relief, is happy as they are, and fulfilled in their romantic and familial relationships. How would you feel if you saw such a portrayal? If you think that's unrealistic as a concept, why? Just like you're wrong about the predecessor to this show, some motifs emerged through the episodes. There are weight loss myths that have been repeated for literally 100 years that haven't gone away. One such myth is that any weight lost on a restrictive diet is something that can be maintained. It is extremely rare for an individual to keep this weight off because of how we evolved. Once our body reaches a higher weight, it tries to get that back to that weight as a survival mechanism. So if you restrict your food, as soon as you start nourishing your body with correct amounts of food again, your body wants that weight to come back. Again, I've lost 40 pounds and gained 50 back three times in my life, and there's no shortage of stories like that out there. Another motif that appears through the episodes is that many people who lose weight adopt or join in with anti-fat biases. This also rings true for me personally. At my lower weights, my judgment of fat people, including my recent self, grew more vicious, vicious and pointed. So then did my self-hatred when I gained it all back. Even though I saw myself as overweight the entire time, I was thin enough to stop being a them and spend a few months as an us. So what moved the needle for me about these episodes? The frankness of the discussions, the quality of the information, and the constant challenging of the norms I grew up with and developed on my own. I have had too many specific moments of reckoning listening to this show to even start to count them in 10 minutes, but the overall effect of these has been a growing acceptance of myself as I am now. Our culture has, and I have, used fatness as an excuse to be cruel. I am on the journey of confronting my own anti-fat bias, both in the ways I harbor it towards myself and in the ways I've externalized it in my life, and I have come to see this as an integral part of my program. I've been able to... I had been able to dismiss my first brushes with the fat positivity movement as good for them. Seeing other people accept and even champion themselves didn't move me. But learning about the cultural, scientific, and economic context around fatness did. I realize writing that down and saying it out loud, how frustrating and cold it sounds, but that's a reflection of how I treated my fat self. In an insightful post-meeting conversation yesterday, a fellow secular OAer asked, what do you do with information contradictory to the 12 steps? And I've been trying to figure out how to answer that. I think that if we're using the 12 steps as our largest framework, as I am, and I'm guessing many of you are too, and we encounter something out there that announces itself as true, capital T, true, we can't ignore it, especially as secular people. My need to grow and broaden my horizons and grapple with these new truths is part of how I exercise a much more radical version of acceptance. 
an acceptance that starts with my physical body and is taking root as emotional and spiritual acceptance of myself exactly as I have been and am now. If the people I love love me back, if I'm able to use my body to get around and try new things out, and if I'm able to explore new ways of finding meaning at this weight, why am I so insisting on changing? Pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brian. And next up is Kay. Hi, everyone. My name is Kay. I am a compulsive overeater, and I'm from upstate New York. I've been in OA 12 years and in secular close to three years. I'd like to highlight some resources related to the ancient philosophy of Stoicism, a philosophy practiced by the Greeks and Romans from around 300 BCE until around 300 CE. Embedded in Stoic philosophy is the idea we should not be upset about things we have no control over, that some of our misery is of our own making, and if we go with the natural order of things, we'll have an easier life. Sound familiar? Before I give the details, I want you to know that I do not romanticize this philosophy or the ancients who practiced it. We know that cruelty was prevalent during the classical period. There was a book that got me started in Stoicism, How to Be a Stoic by Massimo Pigliucci. Pigliucci is a contemporary academic, and yet he includes enough real life examples from his own life in the book to make Stoicism understandable for us. This book hooked me in because of the parallels the author draws between our 12-step serenity prayer back to statements made by an 11th century Jewish philosopher, then back to an 8th century Buddhist scholar, and then all the way back to the Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus. Epictetus was the most well-known teacher of Stoicism, he was an ancient Greek and former slave. Then I started listening to several podcasts. The one I highlight here is The Daily Stoic with the host, Ryan Holiday. The Daily Stoic podcast synthesizes ancient Stoicism and presents it in a contemporary self-help modality. A lot of what is presented resonates with my beliefs although I am highly alert to these being modern interpretations. The podcast also hosts an eclectic group of guests, some of whom are also interested in Stoicism. The Stoic philosophers highlighted in this podcast are Seneca, Epictetus, and Marcus Aurelius. I've read two books by a cognitive behavioral therapist. His name is Donald Robertson. The first one is How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. The author presents therapeutic strategies for dealing with contemporary life based on the writings of the famous Stoic Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. This author specifically mentions that the founders of cognitive behavioral therapy 
also known as CBT, were influenced by Stoic philosophy. Robinson's book led me to purchase the writings attributed to Marcus Aurelius. The text is called Meditations, and the content was not meant for our eyes. The writings were the emperor's thoughts to himself, reminding him how to operate in the world with integrity in spite of life's hardships. I have two editions of the meditations. I have two editions because there's two different translators in this case. There's a whole section filled with gratitudes. In my fanciful 12-step mind, I like to think of meditations as a compilation of his daily 10th step. In a strange parallel, he wrote meditations during the Antonine Plague, and I started reading about Stoicism during the height of COVID. I have yet to read this from cover to cover because it's very repetitive. It turns out that the author had as much trouble learning his lessons as we do in this program. I like opening it up to a random page. By the way, this book is also available free online. I'd like to end with two quotes from meditations that I've incorporated into my morning prayer. The first is, perfection of character is to live each day as if it were, as if it were my last free of frenzy, apathy, or pretense. That's from Meditations, Book 7, Section 69, Translator Unknown. And the next, everything harmonizes with me, which is harmonious to thee, O universe. Nothing for me is too early nor too late, which is in due time for thee. Everything is fruit to me, which thy seasons bring, O nature. From thee are all things. In thee are all things, and to thee all things return. That's book four, section 23, from the George Long translation. I'll end by saying that these and other outside resources have brought a much needed intellectual stimulation to my recovery because the language is more expansive than that of OA. My exploration of non-OA literature has led me to believe that there may be some timeless and universal truths, and that the 12 steps is just the structure I've chosen to learn these truths. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Kay. Next up is Susan. Hi, everybody. I'm Susan. Um, I am a compulsive overreader from Queens, New York. And about 30 years ago, maybe even more, I went to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, a traditional meeting, and I ran away and never came back. But then about 18 months ago, I discovered Secular OA, and um, it's changed everything. And full disclosure, I have been a cognitive behavioral therapist for 35 years, and I'm a, I was able to help all kinds of people, but not myself until I found Secular OA, right? And once I found it, and once I got off sugar, I was able to use the skills, right, that had helped so many people. And the first one I want to teach you is a RAIN meditation. It's a mindfulness exercise for figuring out how you're feeling and what you want to do about it, because so many of us avoid 
negative feelings by eating, right? So RAIN is an acronym and it stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and nourish. So in the R phase, you just sit with your feelings. It doesn't take that long to figure out, okay, what am I feeling? And most of the time we can figure it out by something physical. For me, it's sort of a churning in my stomach as a, as a sign of strong emotions. So people generally feel muscle tension or something in their bodies, but sometimes uh, people might not. It might be racing thoughts, right, would be an example. And so the R phase, you recognize what you're feeling. In the A one, which means allow, it means that whatever we're feeling, we're allowed. It's okay, right? There's nothing to feel guilty about, nothing to be ashamed of. If you want to kill somebody, that's just a feeling. It's okay, right? And so um, feelings don't hurt anybody. We're allowed to feel them. I is investigate, but it's a little bit longer. It's investigate with kind curiosity, right? With kindness. Okay, what's that about? Hmm, why am I feeling that? It gives us a chance to sort of understand what's causing the feeling that we're having. And then the N is nourish, which means, all right, what do I need? Right, I'm feeling this way for a reason. Feelings are important information. There's a good reason. So what do I need? And is there some problem solving I need to do or do I need to be easier on myself? So I love rain meditation. Whenever I get that feeling in my stomach, that's what I do. And then it, it helps me go on. The second skill I want to talk about is from dialectical behavior therapy, and it's called alternate rebellion. Right. This one's great. Once I started to get in touch with my feelings, I realized that sometimes I eat out of rebellion. Right? Who am I rebelling against? Well, I know who I'm rebelling against. Two things. One, my mother. Right? She put me on my first diet when I was still in elementary school. So even now, right? If I, I get that urge. Sometimes it's rebellion against my mother. And sometimes it's rebellion against society. I hope nobody minds if I curse. Is it okay? Right? All right. <laughs> okay. Right? Like sometimes I'm like, fuck you if you don't like the way I look, society. Right? So I'm rebelling against this idea that women, Men too, I guess, should look a certain way. And so, no, right? Don't tell me what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to look. Now, of course, that has a negative consequence, right? Doing that sort of rebellion by eating isn't good for me, right? And so alternate rebellion is a technique where you find another way to rebel, right? Which um, doesn't hurt yourself or anybody else. And so, you know, I find ways to act in, you know, to do what's not expected of me. And I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good girl. And so they're tame, right? For me, it's like eating, I'm going to eat something for, you know, for breakfast, I'm going to have a dinner food. Or instead of doing something productive right now, I'm going to read my book. Or I'm going to go out, God forbid, without makeup, right? So just little ways to rebel and to not do what's expected of me really makes a big difference, right? So that I don't need to eat something in order to rebel. So those are my, my two skills. The third thing I want to talk about is affirmations. And I, we have to be careful with affirmations. They can be incredibly helpful. But, you know, I practice, I'm an evidence-based practitioner. I know what the evidence says about our therapeutic techniques. And affirmations can be dangerous, actually, right? If you choose an affirmation that you really don't believe, that is so aspirational, right? It makes you feel hopeless about reaching it. That actually is counterproductive and we shouldn't do that. So choose an affirmation that even if you don't, even if you don't emotionally believe yet, you intellectually know is right, right? And so those sorts of affirmations can be helpful. Mine is, I am enough, I do enough, I have enough, right? Because I do, right? I have enough, I am enough, and I actually do 
do enough, even though I need to say that to myself at least a couple of times a day because I can be such a perfectionist, right? The next thing, and I have a bunch, I'm sorry. The next thing is a book. Here it is, Woman's Way Through the 12 Steps, right? I love this book. It's by Stephanie Covington. And what I love about it, and by the way, it's not a secular book. So she does talk about higher power and there is some God talk, but not in any way that I've ever been put off by. What I love about it is this recognition that many women, especially right in 12 step programs hurt themselves much more than they hurt other people. And so step four looks different. It involves a lot less shame, which can be an extremely corrosive emotion. Right. And so step four is a much kinder, gentler process. And I, I think that that's fantastic. The other thing I love is this recognition that a lot of people, you know, I, I'm an atheist, but a lot of us aren't atheists. Right. We just have a different spirituality is that we have problems with with this male deity. It's, you know, that everybody talks about. So I've loved this book and I'm using it with a sponsee right now who's going through the 12 steps using it. All right. Next, a tip. My tip is right? Get people to depend on you. Because I think being in OA is hard, right? You go, you have to go to meetings, you have to talk to people, you have to, you know, you have to do, work the steps. Wouldn't it be easier? Like sometimes I would say to myself, wouldn't it be easier if I didn't do this? Right? Like who would know? What's the difference if I just stopped doing it? But I'm totally lying to myself, right? And I know that. And so the way that I've kept myself in is, to have people who depend on me. My sponsee depends on me. My accountability buddy depends on me. People that I know depend on me and it keeps me there, right? When I'm, when I just wanna like, just make it easy and go away. All right, next is, let me see. All right, next is um, just some quotations that I love, right? Number one, uh, there are no mistakes, only learning opportunities, right? You can't learn and grow without making mistakes. So they shouldn't be devastating. Instead of focusing on what we did wrong, focus on what we learned from that. And then finally, my last thing is what goes around comes around. And why I love that is because, you know, I don't have to keep people, I don't have, if somebody's wronged me, I don't have to think about it a lot, right? I don't have to ha let them take up all the space in my brain rent-free, right? Because I really do believe that if you're good, you will have the goodwill of others. If you hurt others, you will lose their goodwill, right? I don't have to do anything. It might not happen now, but it'll happen eventually. That doesn't mean that you don't stand up for yourself and that you're not assertive when you need to be, but it helps me let things go, right? If somebody does hurt me or doesn't treat me the way that I would like. So those are my, <laughs> those are all my skills. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thanks so much, Susan, and thank you, panelists. I'll now turn the program over to Kay. Thank you, Bonnie, and thank you, fellow panelists. We now have time for open sharing. We invite you to share about outside resources that aid your recovery from food obsession. I will call on you when it's your turn. Jenny. Well, I'll just get us started off while people think about things and then start raising their hands. Um, I just wanna thank all the panelists. Those were really great suggestions that you all had. Um, one of the things that I have really liked recently is Vera Tarman's book, Food Junkies. And it's just really confirming that I have an addiction and that the only way I can deal with my addiction is through abstinence. And it's a hard thing to have to hear, but 
Um, it's just been really great. And this author, she's a doctor. She's been working in the field of addiction for over 20 years. She's Canadian. So that's yay. Always a plus. And um, she also has been in the 12 step rooms before. I think she didn't name them, but I think she was mostly an FA. And, you know, so she really understands like the 12 step process and she doesn't uh, knock it. But, um, you know, it's it's just really kind of nice. I feel, you know, like she's sort of family when I read that. And the second thing that I just want to mention is that um, the Secular Overeaters has been recording the alternative 12-step monthly meeting that we have. We, we didn't do it this year, but we did it last year. And we have a whole set of like the 12 steps and they're all alternative steps. And there's discussion and it's just a really good recording. And I have a sponsee right now who is going through the steps for the first time and she's you know come from like the traditional place 12-step programs and she's just like you know unclear about how to work the program in a secular way and it's just really been inspirational for her so um i will put in links to that page on the secular readers website and also my book in the chat thanks thank you jenny tom would you like to unmute and share uh, yes, uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to share. Uh, uh, I've been in uh, Overeaters Anonymous, it'll be 40 years coming up now. And for 36 of those years, I pursued a deity as the 12 steps suggested. And then in 2019, uh, I discovered a book by Derek Lind. And I don't know if I can hold up the book to show you, but it's, it's the Tao Te Ching uh, by uh, Derek Lynn from California, and he does a weekly Sunday uh, broadcast on it. And uh, this has become a replacement. It's not as a religion, it's as a uh, philosophy. And it's very interesting to see the Eastern philosophy that's thousands of years old and see how it got incorporated into, uh, into the 12 steps. And... Uh, once I uh, did this, uh, uh, this book, uh, I also did uh, uh, an outside weight loss pro program that was very successful. After struggling yet again in a 12-step group, searching for a deity, and uh, it wasn't working for me. And thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Tom. Linda, would you like to unmute and share? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Linda, Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much, uh, panelists and all who has shared. Uh, I love to read. I love to listen to podcasts. Uh, but also sometimes I feel like um, there's too many words and too little feelings. Uh, so I just want to recommend music to everyone. Like that's the uh, not a big surprise. But what I did was uh, I identified a risk in my everyday uh, when I walk from work to uh, the train or to the bus. And I just made myself a playlist uh, called You Can Do The Thing because uh, I just needed a distraction to not go into uh, some shop or buy some snacks or whatever. Uh, so I just put all music that's um, uh, positive for me or makes me like express emotions. And just to keep it, uh, whoops, <laughs> keep it surprising for myself, uh, I just mixed all of the genres. So there's Disney music, musicals, death metal, 80s music, just everything I like in one playlist. 
so I don't get bored, but I also look a little weird walking and dancing and headbanging at the same time. But it keeps me uh, occupied and uh, has worked so far. So yay for music. Thank you. And I'll pass. Thank you, Linda. Christine, would you like to unmute and share? Yeah, um, one of the uh, secular, my name's Christine. I'm from the Bay Area. One of the things that I found very helpful is Recovery by Russell Brand. And I'm going to put links to his worksheet as well as a digital book extract of his recovery book. Um, I've gotten it for free from the library. And what's great about it is that uh, Russell Brand is a very charismatic um, uh, comedian who gives his own uh, view on the 12 steps. And he's got this seven page, eight page worksheet. And he says, let's talk about how we can reset these, um, the 12 steps personally. And he says, the first step for him is, are you a bit fucked? Do I have a problem? And the next uh, step two is, could you be not fucked? And that is, could I do something else? And I just really like his um, humor. It's, um, he's uh, uh, really great that way. So it's uh, useful for me. Um, I've uh, talked with other uh, accountability buddies about these steps and I recommend it. I'll put the links in the chat. Uh, chat. I pass. Thank you, Christine. Oh, I see Carolina's raised her hand. Go ahead, Carolina. Hi, my name is Carolina. And um, one of the, one, uh, one resource I really like is um, exercise in general, just whatever you like to do, enjoy doing. Um, for me, it's a great way to um, to just get rid of negative emotions a little bit to you know just just calm myself down, or even just um, on days where I don't want to go like um, full out um, to just um, to just soothe, soothe myself a little bit. So um, exercise in general, and then um, this book it's it's not a recent book. It's called Pure White and Deadly by John Yutkin how sugar is killing us and what we can do to stop it. Uh, uh, I will post it in the chat. And I liked it so much because it was it was the very beginning of um, my journey and where, where I was still very unsure, like, is sugar really a problem? Like, are you sure? The dietary recommendations say up to 10% is no problem. And so this basically um, sort of set me off on my path to um, abstaining from sugar. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Next, we have Bonnie. Thank you. Um, my recovery circle recently have been listening to, it's a program on the uh, app, meditation app, Calm. It's called Mindful Eating by Dr. Michelle May. Um, and it's been pretty interesting. Some episodes didn't resonate with us, but some that we've talked about recently really hit it on the head. Um, and it's nice that the group, we listen to it first and then we save time for sharing. So um, I will put it in the, in the uh, chat, um, but I've, it's been really nice to kind of discuss it with the group. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bonnie. Janet? 
Hi. Um, I also find that exercise is very, very helpful in regulating my body, regulating my day, my schedule. Um, I came in late because I was on another meeting. So I apologize that these two have been mentioned, but um, two books on alternative steps. Um, Jeffrey Munn's book, um, Staying Sober Without God. And he recently published a workbook to go along with that. Thank you. Um, and then second one is The Proactive 12 Steps by Serge Prangle. They're both um, very compassionately, writ compassionately written and uh, provided me with a tremendous amount of insight. Thanks. Thank you, Janet. Barbara, would you like to unmute? Hi, I'm Barbara. Thank you to everyone for your service and for all the great suggestions. I am not a Buddhist, but I've started doing a meditation practice, which has really helped me um, with some of my eating, I guess, impulses. And so I have this, I listened to this guy, Kevin Griffin, on a podcast, the 10% Happier podcast, which is a meditation podcast. And this is uh, Buddhism and the 12 Steps Daily Reflect Reflections. And also Buddhism and the 12 Steps workbook. Um, there's, it just is, a, it seems to be a very gentle way of working through the steps, which focuses on a mindfulness perspective. So that's, that's definitely, I have all the other books that everyone's also <laughs> recommended, but this one just also speaks to me in a different way. But thank you very much for letting me share. Thank you, Barbara. Uh, Elizabeth. Um, hi, everyone. I'm uh, Elizabeth, uh, sugar addict, and just uh, launched a group for sugar addicts in the community. And I've been so I've been researching a ton on what sugar does to our body and ultra processed foods. So I really recommend any book that talks about how processed food is designed to kind of hijack our, our brain circuitry that increases cravings, um, it just harms our, our whole ability to, to process and it just puts us on a path for, uh, you know, addiction and, um, and weight struggles and so on. So I loved what was said about fat because I agree that we're, our, our, our culture is really biased that way. And so one book that I, one author I like is Robert Lustig, L-U-S-T-I-G. And one of his books is called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Foods, Obesity, and Disease. And he clearly says that obesity is not the problem. The problem is sugar. And obesity is just a, a symptom of the, the problem with our ultra-processed foods. So that we stop blaming ourselves for um you know, struggling when, and there's a whole thing called neuromarketing where really they, um, the food processing industry will use um, uh, the higher neuroscientists and, and fMRI machines to really figure out the best way to use, you know, fat, sugar, and um, salt to best hook people. So anyways, anything about that that can deprogram us uh, from this addiction and the toxicity of these foods is I find really, really helpful. Thanks. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, we'll do Beth from Georgia and then Dawn and then we'll be closing. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Beth. I'm a compulsive overeater from Georgia. 
And I said, I say compulsive because um, food is my favorite thing to go to, but that I have to be careful not to go to other things. I was wanted to thank uh, the panelists, yes, but to also mention that the Tuesday and Saturday meetings that I've been going to with um, Secure OA, and we've been using the outside literature, has been very, very helpful. And I really like voices in the head, in your head. It I've been using it uh, in slow motion, kind of like I go through one little exercise at a time. And I find it's helpful because it's outside of everything that I've had uh, drilled into my brain for the last, you know, eon or so. And that's um, what I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. I hope you'll put that in the chat. And then we'll end with Dawn. Please unmute Dawn. Hi. Um, I uh, have a, just a couple that um, one where I started my journey of recovery. Um, I have a, a PT, I have PTSD and um, a lot of I'm an emotional leader. So learning part of the process of recovery um, has been healing my nervous system. And uh, I started out my journey and Jessica McGuire com. I'll put it in the chat. She has a website. She sells a lot of courses. She's a, a therapist from Australia, I believe. And she's got some good information on YouTube. And I found her stuff really, really um, helpful in learning to understand what my nervous system was doing and reacting to. But currently I'm reading this book. And it is fabulous because it is always that lovely mix between Buddhism meets psychotherapy. So he, this therapist um, talks about what, where psychotherapy works and where Buddhism, um, sitting, sitting with those emotions without having to go into the stories about them. And I'm finding it just really, really helpful for my recovery. I'll try to put those in the chat. Thank you. And, and Dawn, for yeah. the recording, would you please state the title and the author? Already Free, Buddhism, Buddhism Meets Psychotherapy on the Path of Liberation, Bruce Tift. Thank you and so much. And the other one was jessicamaguire.com. Thank you. It's time to end our sharing and close the formal portion of our event. We hope you've enjoyed today's workshop. Thanks to everyone who has shared and thank you to our panelists who got us started, Adele, Brian, Kay, and Susan. If you'd like to hang out after we've read the OA Promise, please stay for general fellowship. Otherwise, we'll see you at our next event. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit secularovereaters.org and consider making a donation.